welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Bridgerton on Netflix. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Julian Davis. We're proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by New York Times bestselling author Erica Ridley and her newest book, The Duke Heist, out February 9th. A secret identity's forbidden love opposites attract romance. Why seduce a duke the normal way when you can accidentally kidnap one in an elaborately planned heist? Chloe Winchester is completely forgettable, a curse that gives her the ability to blend into any crowd. When the only father she's ever known makes a dying wish for his adopted family of orphans to recover a missing painting, she's the first one her siblings turn to for stealing it back. No one expects that in doing so, she'll also abduct a handsome duke. Lawrence Gosling, the Duke of Faircliffe, is tortured by his father's mistakes. To repair his estate's ruined reputation, he must wed a high-born heiress. Yet, when he finds himself in a carriage being driven hell for leather down the cobblestone streets of London by a beautiful woman who refuses to heed his commands, he fears his heart is hers. But how can he sacrifice his family's legacy to follow true love? There's something for everyone in this series, and in this book. The Winchester siblings represent a diverse and inclusive cast in terms of sexuality, gender identity, class, race, and ableness. Julia Quinn, author of the Bridgerton book series, says, Erica Ridley is a delight. Grab your copy of The Duke Heist at your favorite store or visit ericaridley.com for more info. There's a special bonus for a limited time. If you buy The Duke Heist and register your purchase on Erica's website, she'll send you a free bonus Winchester novella. Visit ericaridley.com, spelled E-R-I-C-A-R-I-D-L-E-Y.com. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another very exciting episode of the Pemberley Podcast, where this week we are discussing episode five of Bridgerton, The Duke and I. So previously on Bridgerton, Daphne nearly gets a proposal from the prince, but a scandalous midnight encounter with the duke in the garden leads to their unexpected engagement. And a duel that kind of happens, but doesn't really <laughs> affect them. I think it's important to mention that where we've just left off at the end of episode four, is everyone still in the field? Daphne and Simon are newly engaged. And so we drop in on episode five with Daphne literally racing through the house. It's still like dawn and she's trying to dispose of her muddy clothes before anyone can find out where she's been and what's happened. I mean, you look at it from everyone else's perspective, and it's like she's very much so on this path to getting engaged to the prince, Prince Friedrich of Prussia. No one knows otherwise, except for Anthony Bridgerton and Simon and also Benedict. And like, actually, all the Bridgerton boys know about this. And you're like, wait, uh, this contained secret isn't as contained as we think. But it's it all is in the family. Yeah, it is news to Violet Bridgerton, because the next morning, that morning, you know, she goes down and tells her I'm engaged. And Violet is actually like, not the happiest about the news, because she assumes it's about the prince. So she's like, so happy for you. Because she knows like, there was clearly something between her and the Duke. She did a 
didn't want Daphne to give up on love just for status, but it turns out, yes, she's engaged to the Duke, and Violet can see that Daphne isn't the happiest about it, but they're gonna go forward with it because of the fact that actually Cressida may know about this encounter in the garden. Daphne is real worried about the secret getting out, so she's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're getting married, um, we could get married this week if we wanted to, just to speed things up. Violet's like, okay, like three days, let's go. What's sort of interesting about this plot point is there's still kind of a lot of mess that only like the kids know. I'm considering everyone, even every single Bridgerton boy, a kid. Yeah. Like the kids know about this and they're trying to pull it off. Like it was fine. It was so smooth. It was totally supposed to happen this way. Conceal from like the mamas of the tome that like this was actually quite a scandalously patched up engagement. There was typically a rule if you wanted to like get married that you had to put an announcement in the paper like at least three weeks in advance. Like you had to be engaged for like a certain amount of weeks before you could officially get married. And so they're applying for a special license, which I'm guessing is like was typically reserved for people who were having like a shotgun wedding kind of thing. So when Daphne says she wants this, like the maid is like, are you like good? Another thing that I think we need to take into account moving forward with this episode and like the rest of the episodes is like, we've already seen evidence of this, but like none of the women know exactly what sexual intercourse is. They don't know where babies come from. Like they've always been hearing about their wifely duties and no one's like actually given them the talk. A lot of people are doing like winks and nudges at Daphne and she genuinely doesn't know what they're talking about, which is like a very interesting, well, this is like sort of one of those moments where the mom and maid are like, are you all good? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, Because the truth is they want to get married before the Cressidas of the world. They're not sure who else saw them in like hookup garden. They don't want the scandal to get out because the Duke sort of like tainted Daphne's reputation. Yeah, and I guess that's one of Violet's things like she doesn't want to know because Daphne's like, well, something almost happened and and Violet's like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know like what happened between you and Simon. And that's the thing that kind of comes up later. They are getting married this episode. They are going to be together that night before they go and have their first night together as as a wedded couple. Violet Bridgerton is like, you probably know these things already. (laughs) And Daphne's like, I've been trying to tell everyone. No, I don't know. No, like we made out. He felt me up. Like, I don't know what else there is. Like she, you know, she doesn't know what her options are. And women were sort of kept deliberately ignorant about these things for a long time, especially if you were high born. I mean, this sort of makes me think back to the conversation that Sienna had with the modiste who fixed her French accent. And they talk about like, they've got plenty of experience with men because like men are expected to know these things and they can sleep around and they can do whatever they want. So by the time it's time to get married, they are sort of like well experienced and the women like don't even know next steps you know we are full speed ahead with the wedding so far we've applied for the license we're waiting to hear back we're going shopping because Daphne is a bride to be and we have another encounter with Cressida you know who Cressida reminds me of for everyone (laughs) who has not seen Dairy Girls yet there's a really great moment in season two the girls go on like a peace trip to like make nice with some Protestants Protestant boys and Catholic girls they kind of have like an impromptu gathering together uh, after hours is in one of the rooms and Jenny Joyce, the sort of class tattletale or whatever busybody outs them to Sister Michael. And Sister Michael's like, you know, you're going to go far in life, Jenny, but no one will like you. 
<laughs> That's sort of how I feel about Cressida. Cressida seems to know a lot. Do we want to enter her as a contender in the potential Lady Whistledown pool? I mean, she's yeah. been pretty under the radar so far, and she's kind of front and center and more in this episode. I mean, it's interesting because between her and Daphne, they have like this conversation about potentially what Cressida saw. Though I dare say it would have been difficult to see the gardens with any real clarity at night. Unless you were actually out in them yourself. My view of the garden was perfectly clear from the safety of the terrace, Daphne. So she's like, I'm not going to get pulled into a scandal. Good luck with that. Cressida being Lady Whistledown. I don't know if Lady Whistledown would be someone who like openly blackmail people. She's doing it from behind the pen name and she's doing it from this anonymous place versus the Cressidas of the world are very public with their blackmail. And in this case, I mean, in her mind, she kind of still has this blackmail, but it's really useless at this point because they are going to get married. Sure, in her mind, she's like, if somehow Daphne manages to mess this up and she tries to go back and get the prince, I'm going to use this blackmail as like a block card <laughs> to like, don't even try it. Cressida's like just being an Uno master here. I have a lot less faith in the sort of shadows that I believe a lot of people in makeout maze believe that was cast over them. And I'm like, oh, so you can just go to the balcony and see <laughs> everything. <laughs> who's hooking up in the garden what's the point of that like go anywhere else anyway we're kind of in this precarious crunch time right this is not totally behind them they didn't see anyone see them but they of course don't know for sure yeah i think that what the duke and anthony did was a great deal more dangerous than you know the Duke and Daphne hanging out or hooking up in the garden because that's not like against the law. Like they can't quite exhale yet because they don't have their special license to get married. It's interesting because it really is like getting ruined is the same level as getting killed, really. It's like the Hermione moment of like, you can't get us into trouble. We may get killed or worse, expelled. Yep. So it is like you either <laughs> get killed or you get ruined. <laughs> I mean, you're dead in society. That's what that means. Your line sort of can't continue. It has its own stakes for sure. But there is a kind of a, a very sweet moment between the prince and Daphne where he's like, I, I thought, thought you liked that we. Me. Yeah, like I thought we wanted the same things. I thought we were on the same page. And once the Duke and I realized we were completely enamored with each other, nothing could stand between us. Not even, I'm sorry to say, the attentions of a good and kind man such as yourself. Then I can only wish you a lifetime of contentment with your new husband. The prince is a real prince about it. Yeah, and I mean, it's sad because the queen and the prince find out through Lady Whistledown <laughs> that she's engaged to the duke. So not the best way to find out the news, but he takes it well. The queen, not so much because she is like strutting down the hallway with her dogs that morning. Like, I did it. I won. I named the diamond. I got the prince, my nephew in here. They're going to get married. Everything's great. Obviously, that plan doesn't pan out. So, you know, she does have influence in, in this world and society. So when Daphne and Simon apply for that special license, it mysteriously gets denied. I mean, they piece it together rather quickly that they're like, this is the queen. <laughs> this is this the, the queen being doing. vindictive. Yeah. <laughs> This is like a revenge kind of, this goes all the way to the top, yeah, you know? <laughs> pretty much. 
And I actually kind of like what follows next. The only way to fix this is to plea your case to the queen. And it's also worth noting that there's still some tension between Daphne and Simon. They're still kind of like staging some of their dates just to cover up for the fact that she was like gonna go for the prince and then like did a 180 for Simon. And he shows up to their promenade hung over and he's being distant and weird and just he's got a lot of internal feelings about this yeah i really love the scene that happens where they go before the queen and daphne's like yeah so we're in love and and that's why and she's like bs and then simon pulls uno reverse (laughs) and just tells the truth and he was like look we actually faked this relationship i realized that i love her and i can't live without her and i think she feels the same way and that's why we want to get married it's this really beautiful beautiful speech and you're like oh if there had been a proper proposal that would have been his speech around it Mm -hmm. but in his current mindset there's no way he would have proposed there's no way he would have like ever said these words to Daphne but because the situation of them getting caught and the whole duel and everything about reputation uh, they were both pushed into getting engaged and that's actually something Prince Friedrich brings up he's like you weren't forced were you like because it felt like we were we were in a good pace things were going well it is a little bit tricky because you want these two people who were set up to want to love to be together but they're in this like really awful situation where they're not talking they're not even really looking looking at each other are their feelings the same even and whether or not this is a forced marriage too it kind of is honestly if Cressida were to reveal everything then Daphne setting the tone for the rest of her sisters could potentially ruin everything for them Daphne and the Duke both have feelings of did I force the other person into this the Duke back to my earlier speech he knows what he's doing he's been around he's this isn't his first time in a maze with a woman he kind of put her in a precarious situation by following her into that garden he set it up like I mean, I will marry you, but I can't give you the things that you want. So it's not going to be great. And she was like, okay, I'll take the thing that's not great. And so (laughs) I can see how Daphne would have very real anxiety about like ruining that kind of innocent magic that they had between each other and forcing his hand because she literally said like, I'm going to be ruined if you don't marry me. You know, like it reminds me of Ali Wong's first special where she's like, the real way that people get engaged is the woman nags the man first very subtly, then if he doesn't get the memo, extremely aggressively. (laughs) And then like, you have to nag him until he's like, fine, will you marry me? And she's like, oh my God, he proposed. We could certainly play half that special here and it would uh, apply. That's kind of what we're dealing with. And then we're on the wedding day. Yeah, that's definitely Cressida's approach to trying to get the prince was the, you know, her big swoon move was supposed to be that dramatic moment, but didn't pan out. But yeah, I mean, they get approved for their special license after Simon's great speech. Typically in a romance, (laughs) the wedding day is like the biggest moment of the show, of the movie. And it's like, oh my goodness, we're finally here here this is like the thing we've been building toward we're on episode five of eight and it seems like it's like this totally depressing (laughs) wedding vibes and it's just feels like they're both dealing with that inner guilt that they haven't communicated to each other yet you know what should be a a beautiful day is just feels like they're both not happy i think it's that guilt they're not dying they're just getting (laughs) married well no but it's also like a really small wedding like it's a really big church 
all the Bridgertons are there for Daphne. Wait, does anyone like even show up for the Duke? Like Lady Danbury. I could, I mean, and that's really Mondrich. That's really the only family he has, right? I know, but it's weddings, at least in movies and TV shows, are always really big. And again, they're two very powerful people. Yeah. And no one's there. But I mean, I think that's also the result of a, a three day planning event. Yeah, I think it's because it was rushed. We do see that the reception is like this big grand deal i mean it's like this society is used to balls every week so this is like just like another event for them so at least that is more joyous there's a lot of people there to welcome them as a couple and greet them now they're like public you know they're together forever supposedly so before we get into the rest of daphne and simon let's actually dive into a bit of the other storylines and characters that are happening so we do get some of the queen in this episode episode we actually haven't heard anything about the king at this point i honestly thought he just wasn't alive i thought it was just the queen i feel like we've been getting these like non-hints mm. that he's like not all there yeah. because people don't talk about him like he's dead we only see the queen and so for the very first time we meet him i mean it's it's really sad because he clearly has some kind of dementia or alzheimer's and he like isn't all there and it's really sad because i think that when you see them together like the king is really happy to see the queen you can see how like they were clearly very in love many years ago and he's like asking for all these updates she came to my room about a fortnight ago did you not see her she is gone george have you done something? What have you done? What has this woman done to my child? No, what have you done? And she walks away from it because it's like, that's just so painful to deal with. And I mean, in the public eye, it seems like no one knows about this. So really, she is representing both the king and the queen in the public eye and being strong for the both of them. She's doing so much for, for them both and being so strong amidst it all. So we get to see, I mean, that's the first time I feel like we get to see the queen with her guard down. Yeah. Because in every scene, she's like, the, she is the queen. She's like the alpha in every single room. She's the puppet master. She's calling the shots. She wants to know what's happening with all the young people getting engaged. Yeah. And like, this is really the first time that we've seen what her life is actually like and, and what's really happening behind the scenes. And it's really sad. It's a situation where she has no control, where yes, everywhere else in any other room, she has total control. She can name the diamond of the season. She can declare who's going to to talk to her or not talk to her which speaking of that at the reception of the wedding I love um, this. <laughs> I know, is when uh, she overhears Eloise accusing yet someone else of being Lady Whistledown in a in such a public manner like what is Eloise thinking wait was it Lady Danbury yes. is it some lady it's Lady Danbury yeah, she accuses Lady Danbury of being Lady Whistledown and Lady Danbury just like go away child at that point but i do love uh eloise's persistence of trying to find out who it is in this investigation there's no way you can make a public declaration or accusation like that and then be like you got me <laughs> it's me <laughs> i would just like to take this opportunity to celebrate what a horrible detective because it's so funny in the last episode she is talking to penelope and she's like we're the cleverest girls in the tongue we can figure it out yeah. like her whole plan is to just like accost 
older women and say, you're her, aren't ya? And they're like, no, leave me alone. The queen overhears this row, approaches her and is like, oh, you're investigating who Lady Whistledown is. Like, are you close? And Eloise is like, you're talking to me. <laughs> I'm investigating. I haven't found out who yet, but I'm, I'm on the hunt. And she's like, okay, well, let me know when you know. <laughs> I mean, the queen, of course, wants to know because if there's someone who is not being condescending, but like putting down some of the queen's actions too, of being like, oh, well, I guess you didn't accurately guess this. Of course, she wants to know who Lady Whistledown is. She is supposed to be the one with all the influence in society. And now everyone has bought into Lady Whistledown's words almost more than the queen. So Eloise <laughs> getting further into this investigation, we'll, uh, we'll see how that pans out. You know, she's really stuck on this whole widow theory. She's like, it's got to be a widow because who else would like have all the time in the world to really take something like this on? I think it's interesting, like they're only looking at women because I yeah. feel like a man would actually be a great way to hide in all of this. Women are kind of like known for gossiping and they're sort of expected to gossip. But I think there's something about men who have to act like they don't really care what people are talking about because they don't ever talk to each other. All of this information does affect them and or their wives or their daughters or their families. And so like they should care. Back to Dan Humphreys, like, is it a man or is she like looking in all the wrong places by looking for a widow? Because I, I understand where old, rich, a lot of time on our hands, knows everything, knows where to look for information. We don't know that many widows though. I do like the theory that it could be a guy, but of the men in this show, <laughs> I don't trust any of them to be clever enough to pull it off. Not absolutely none of these men. I have not met a single mentally stable man where I'm like, <laughs> ooh, you're like pulling the strings. You're like actually in charge. 0.0% of them. You're absolutely right. I just wanted to throw in that herring. Yeah. Is Lady Whistledown even a lady? But you tell the truth by saying we have not met a single man where I'm like, oh, he's really smart. <laughs> he knows what's <laughs> up. <laughs> Every single man, I'm just like, where is your therapist? Talk about your feelings to anyone, really, at this point. I think to a tree. Yeah, this is a good segue into the Bridgerton men of things going on in their lives, which, I mean, come on. Ugh. <laughs> They're just sort of running around like, who am I? I'm so unhappy. Like, what do I want? What do I have? Yeah. Everything? <laughs> I still have everything? Okay. So post-duel, obviously, Anthony had made these huge, big promises to Sienna of like, we're gonna leave the country. We're gonna finally be together. And so he tries to go back to where she's living, which is with the modiste Genevieve. As he transpires, my lord, she does not need your money. Not anything else from you for that matter. Tell me what she is. Leave the young lady alone. I, I had my rant about him in the last episode. It's just crazy to me how he keeps not learning this lesson. Just keeps doing it. Truly doesn't know what it means to actually like deliver on a promise. No. Like that. I feel like that's sort of the bare minimum of what we're asking. We're asking him to keep a promise that he has made, <laughs> which means he either needs to make much smaller promises than we're going to run away together, we're going to be together, we're going to flee the country. Sure. Or if he's going to make these promises, just like make it happen. And so he's not doing that because when he came to her, he was like, I know I don't deserve for you to take me back. I just love you and I really want you to. And she does. And then he fails her again. For Sienna's sake, I really hope that she left 
And I really hope that she's seeing the whole world. I hope that she's on tour as the soprano. I hope that she finds a great guy who values her above all else and is like actually going to do exactly what he says. I don't want like bad things to happen to Anthony, but I'm just saying that like if anything bad happens to him in the future, he totally deserves it. Previously, we saw Benedict. He's diving more into this art world that Henry Granville introduced him to. He invites him into like another one of these gatherings or parties that he has. We see more of that. We just see really Benedict continuing to dive into this world and feeling, I guess, more comfortable with it. I think it's something that he didn't realize was a possibility in his life. And he was like, what? I can just not worry about responsibilities ever? Great. Just one of the many privileges these Bridgerton men have. He actually sees Henry Granville with another man as he's looking for a room with Genevieve. So that's like something we like quickly see. And I think later they actually meet up at the reception. Henry Granville tells him like, what you saw? And Benedict tells him, I saw nothing. At least there's that where he's like, you know, you have your life. Do you? And I'm not going to say anything about it because I think Benedict in a way too is like, you invited me into that world. So I'm just grateful to have like an escape from society. I feel like using the word unbothered is not even the right word because he's like intrigued by this world and he wants more. He wants in. And I I think that was probably the first example of like a homosexual relationship that he's ever seen. He's not disgusted by it. He's like, all right, proceed. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's even something like Henry's wife knows about it because Benedict hooks up with Genevieve and Henry's wife. This is just our lives and we go to these fancy parties and balls and weddings by day and we do whatever the heck we want at night. Yeah, different worlds than the one he's used to seeing. But he's like, yeah, as you said, he's intrigued. He wants to know more. And then over at the Featheringtons, obviously last episode, we found out that Lord Featherington has this terrible gambling addiction. He's gambled away all of their money, so they have nothing left. Yeah, I just put the theme of this episode as weak men. If you didn't read that, I was going to. I love that because it basically is like, let's talk about all these men who have let down the women in their lives and how they're gonna turn it around. Yeah, it's just them being like, what am I doing with my life? My goodness. And you... I want to do art, but like, is art me? Or am I just (laughs) projecting? And Anthony's like, I'm so sorry I made another promise that I didn't keep. I won't do it again, but I will. (laughs) Things are progressing with Marina and Colin. She is still like, oh my goodness, he's perfect. He's great. I I think I'm in love with him. Penelope continues to be so jealous. And she keeps kind of pushing the same argument over and over of like, Colin is young, Colin is young, and she wants to add in, and I'm in love with him. But she does, she can't say that because then her secret's out. Lady Featherington is like, time's ticking. Cool for you that this young Bridgerton boy likes you, but he's not going to propose in like two days and you're not going to get married in three days. So uh, Lord Rutledge is still your best option. Marina's like, how about we make a deal? And if I secure this proposal, actually seduce Colin to, you know, expedite the process, then I've succeeded, you know? 
which is the plan is for her to get married and, you know, get rid of the scandal, essentially. Which, like, Lady Featherton Chan's like, respect. Like, all right, I see the hustle. Uh, <laughs> like, game recognized game. <laughs> she's like, all right. Well, it's so interesting because I just can't be on board with the deception that's going into this. However, I feel like systemically men have been putting women into situation like women wouldn't have to lie about being pregnant or who the father is the importance of like being married to the father like if men hadn't created those rules women wouldn't even think to deceive when they got pregnant or like who the father is but because marina i mean it's interesting because like obviously we saw lady featherington write the breakup letter to marina where the father of her child and, and her love was just like this didn't happen i'm denying this i'm still very curious to see if there's like any chance that this guy could come yeah. back and be like marina my love <laughs> like i'm back not only is it difficult for penelope to sort of watch her good friend colin possibly be deceived i think it's also really hard because penelope is of age penelope is eligible penelope has been following the rules she has every other opportunity on the surface to be with Colin if she wanted to, but he's not ever looking at her. He's looking at Marina. I think it's also very heartbreaking to know that like she kind of could have him, but he doesn't want her. She just has to live knowing that like her best friend doesn't feel the same way. I think Lady Featherington too has had to put her own daughters on the back burner of matches because her priority is Marina to get her engaged and married. And obviously with the added layer of they have no dowries. So I really have to get this girl off my hands. That's why she's also like rushing to get things done. Once she kind of gets that situation handled, she can move on to her own daughter that financial situation and take care of that so maybe in a different world where like if lady featherington was more attentive and being able to listen to her daughters she would have been like oh you like colin well of course like he's a bridgerton and trying to put them together as she kind of was you know at the beginning episode one of like introducing her daughters to like every potential eligible man she hasn't had the time to do that she's not thinking about that Her sole focus is Marina. So unfortunately, Penelope just has to deal with these sad feelings alone and and just move forward or, you know, just try to figure out what she's going to do. She knows about the plot. At the wedding reception, Penelope actually tries to convince Marina, like, don't do this. Don't do this to Colin. He's young. Stakes are high for Marina, especially then when Lady Featherington comes up to her and is like, well, I hope you're happy because Lord Rutledge is engaged. So that was really like her only secure option now it's like colin or nothing we've sort of exhausted our options because marina was rejecting all the old farts who are (laughs) ready to get married tomorrow because they might die of old age like what did he say he like his teeth are soldiers teeth from the battlefield disgusting marina's kind of been like i mean she's you know she's got options she wants options and so she's like just trying to not marry someone gross and really old and and colin bridgerton is like not only is he young but he's cute and he's so sweet and he's already good for good with kids i mean i love that lady <laughs> featherington is like i'm on board we're in crisis mode like seduce the young man ruin his <laughs> reputation like, oh no just make it happen like because even if they don't get married right i mean like a she'll have to be like oh, i'm pregnant 
pregnant and then he'll hopefully do the right thing. I mean, but I feel like it's such a precarious situation because he could just as easily say like, sucks that you're pregnant, but I don't want to marry you kind of thing. What I think is so interesting about Marina's plan to seduce Colin, she was just like, oh, can we go upstairs? And they go into like the study alone and she's like, there's a draft. So he closes the door and he's like, we shouldn't be alone together. You know, like I said earlier, the other sort of theme of this episode is like women aren't supposed to know what goes on in a seduction. They're just supposed to be like, ooh, he's paying a lot of attention to me. And so she's like trying to seduce him without acting like she knows exactly what she's doing. And so she's got to be like, hmm, wonder what people think we're doing up here. Like trying to be like, can you like make your move? Can you please just like take advantage of me? She's so accustomed to like this world where men just like only take advantage of women and only are in it for themselves and are so selfish that like it really takes her by surprise when he's like, why don't we just get engaged? Will you marry me? And she's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know, because like, when it's those plans. When it's that moment where he's like, clearly he's not gonna do anything improper. She's like, oh no, like my plan has failed. Like everything is, what am I gonna do now? He proposes and she's like, it was that easy? Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, yes. But Colin is such a romantic and he's like, yeah. we can get married at the end of the season there's no rush we have time and she's like mm. okay how do we speed that romance up <laughs> so it's great for her because on one hand she's like i've secured a proposal from this great young man who is gonna be nice and sweet to me and kind but on the other hand time is still against her this needs to happen now i, he, I don't think colin is the type of person who's going to rush into a wedding you know he is still young he is this romantic so unlike his brothers who are more in the world and know more about things he's still young and innocent to all of it so he wants to take his time and still get to know her and court her properly I think it was a really interesting, you know, out of left field move that they were like scheming and plotting and they're just like, how do we trick the young Bridgerton boy into like, <laughs> into thinking he's the one who seduced Marina? Yeah. I think he also proposes just because he likes her. And he's like, isn't yeah. this what marriage is? You just like someone and then you propose. So that's just his way of thinking. And also, like, even if for some reason, if uh, Lady Featherington and Marina really tried to push like, oh, no, did he ruin Marina? Violet would have been like, my son, Colin, <laughs> he's the one who seduced? No, no, no. Like, I think there would have been some public arguments about that. Right now, they're sort of unofficially, secretly engaged. Not really. He actually wants to extend the engagement to the end of the season. So no promises have been made. It's more just like the intention to get engaged. I was really curious to know how long the season lasted because I feel like I've heard it talked about in lots of movies and, and books and everything. So I looked it up and here's what the internet told me. The season coincided with the sitting of parliament. It began sometime after Christmas and ran until midsummer, roughly late June. And so the social season was like important for like people like Daphne who were debutantes making their debut. And so the season, I mean, it really refers to like half the year. So like yeah. half the year you were part of society and then the other half of the year 
you were sort of just like living in your country estate, just sort of like tending to your lands and and living your life. I feel like where we're at with the show season is we're probably about (laughs) saying season a lot here, but we're probably about halfway through their season or a little more. So really, you still have about two or three months until the end of that for maybe Colin and Marina to get engaged. Two, three months in her pregnancy, she's definitely going to be showing so there's no way they can go on that timeline no and that's what's crazy about it i feel like marina's about one or two months pregnant like probably closer to two months pregnant i feel like you don't start showing until like your third or fourth month but the other tricky part is when she has this baby whoever her husband is she's gonna have to be like ah it's premature that happens a lot but like obviously it's like a full-term baby she would have to pass it off like it's premature premature maybe that's why husbands were never in the room maybe during (laughs) childbirth for a long time is like they would have to decide it was for like these women who like you know had to like pass off their child and be like all right so how old is this is this premature like how like how premature is this baby kind of thing yeah we'll kind of just see how they how their story unfolds but at least for now there seems to be kind of hope for marina and how her story will unfold but in going back to and finishing up with simon and daphne they're at their wedding reception um still not talking to each other yeah they're just you know and it's upsetting to Daphne so she actually leaves the reception hall and goes up to her room and that's where Violet Bridgerton is like okay it's time I think we've waited long enough it's time for the talk (laughs) this is like the most and she I can't even say she uses metaphors because they're not even great metaphors much in the way that rain soaks a field in autumn and in spring flowers grow When you were younger, do you remember uh, we had two hounds in the country? Bassets, in fact. That is right. Well, no one explained it to them, but there were puppies. So this act, it is performed to have children. Yes. (laughs) That sticks out to Daphne because she's like, oh, so this marital act is performed to have children, which in Daphne's mind, she's like, I know that Simon cannot for some reason. I don't know the logistics of it, but for some reason he can't. So does that mean we can't? And and it's all very confusing in Daphne's mind, which Violet isn't helpful at all in this situation. Well, and I think what sucks for Daphne, because her mom isn't like, saying anything specific she's just saying there's this great act that you and your husband can now engage in and it will result in children and it is a beautiful and wonderful thing she thinks that she can't have whatever this beautiful wonderful thing is and so like maybe there's like a a piece of her marriage that's like forever going to be like fraudulent i mean that's why i'm just like maybe we just like have a crash course on like communicating with people (laughs) Daphne feels more horrible that she can't have this like fun part of marriage yeah I mean and it's back to like the uh polite society thing of Violet not wanting to (laughs) expose her daughter to the secrets of within marriage but she's literally about to go into that so she needs to know what's gonna happen and so she's not prepared at all and also Violet still doesn't have a full understanding of what happened between Simon and Daphne so she's like 
you probably kind of know, right? And I think that's another misconception is like maybe within Violet's own upbringing, she was maybe around other things and was exposed to things before her marriage or at least knew or heard of things. Daphne has been so shielded from that. She is very innocent and she doesn't know anything about that. So uh, she's going into it with a different perspective too. It's not like I'm mad at Violet for not like pulling out a chart or anything. (laughs) I think the reason she has such a hard time explaining this to Daphne is because it's sort of part of the grand tradition of not explaining what sex is to women and just sort of like keeping them deliberately ignorant about this kind of thing. And so she probably never got a talk like you didn't get a talk you got married or you just like hooked up with a guy and you know you just like sort of said yes to whatever he wanted to do you're right I think she thinks that Daphne has more experience than she does because they applied for that special license and so they're like oh she's pregnant so like she she's already done this she's already done this before and she's like it's okay dear like sometimes your father and I in the heat of passion couldn't take our hands off each other you know before we got married and like it was fine because we got married so like Lady Bridgerton has been shielded from how horrible men can be because she was married to such a good man and like even if they were together before they got married it wasn't a big deal because they loved each other and he married her anyway and they had all these kids and they had like a beautiful life together and so she sort of doesn't know exactly firsthand what it means to like look out for these rakes or the you know like the other things that women are just sort of vaguely warned about but they don't know exactly what their boundaries should be. And so what we go into, Simon is taking his new bride back to his estate. They have to stop at an inn on the journey back. And Daphne is very disappointed to see that the Duke has booked them two different suites. I mean, there's a lot of expectations from each of them on this night because they do love each other. They haven't been able to speak for a few days and they don't know what each other is thinking. So they're in their separate rooms, nervous, pacing, unsure what to do do and then they finally are in the same room and talk and it's like that guilt is out in the open because they both feel like they've trapped each other simon feels like he's trapped daphne because he's like i can't have children i know that's something you want Daphne feels like she's trapped Simon because she's like, I know you don't want this. So they both feel horrible and the word sacrifice is used. This could have been cleared up with the conversation a few days ago, but they chose tonight. I would so much rather they have it out on their wedding night than like in 30 years. Oh yeah. You know, it's a little, like I agree, they could have like communicated better. Like that's the case for literally everyone on this whole show. I think the other thing of note here is like sort of the differences in expectations for this like what happens on a wedding night because Simon knows exactly what happened. Daphne is just feeling rejected by him because he hasn't been talking to her. They're supposed to be spending all kinds of time together and you're supposed to marry your dearest friend and and she thought that she was doing that but now he's like treating her like crap. Part of their outburst is they both admit that they burn for each other. If you would have only looked at me this week for longer than two seconds you would have seen. It is you I cannot sacrifice. I for you. As the scene unfolds, they sort of sleep together for the first time and Simon finds an out to his whole like pulling off the lie that he can't have kids. The thing he's pulling off is by pulling out. She doesn't know what's supposed to happen. So they sort of get to have their proper wedding night. But he's like, oh, I just like have to pull out for the rest of my life. I can keep this going. And that's sort of step one of the rest of their marriage. 
the big thing between them was like, do we even like each other? I bet the other person doesn't like me. And so, yeah, definitely the burn confession is where they're like, okay, great. We are on the same page. Like, we love each other. We know like the kid aspect is complicated, but at least we know we both love each other. And so that's where they're able, they're able to at least move forward for the night. Something interesting about Bridgerton particularly is that they did use an intimacy coordinator, which is something that is a bit of a newer role within the past few years to some sets, which is someone whose sole job is to come in with these intimate scenes, help to choreograph, coordinate it and also check in with the actors and their comfort level to make sure that they both feel safe and comfortable, which it was like, why hasn't this always existed? I mean, you think of previous movies that are probably just like this white male director in a room with two actors and like likely an uncomfortable situation they try to make it comfortable to the best of their ability but now you have like this specific role of a person whose job it is to make sure like everything is good with both of them so i think that's really great and unique to this show and hopefully something that all productions use going forward as this role becomes more known to people too absolutely because i think I mean, I'm not an actor, but I imagine that when you're an actor and you accept a role, sort of knowing that there are going to be these intimate scenes, you want to be game for it. You want to like, but there is, I mean, it's interesting. I feel like every interview I've ever seen about like actors describing the sort of intimate scenes, like filming those scenes of a movie, everyone's like, it's the least sexy thing you've ever done. It's so uncomfortable. It's so weird because you have to wear all this special tape and underwear and all that kind of stuff. I think it's really great that like this role exists in sort of just like choreography and the sort of mental well-being of the actors. The mental well-being of everybody is something that's long been overlooked on Hollywood film sets and in, in, in all aspects of it, especially a show that's kind of known for being sexy or has been marketed that way. It's good that they like took those steps to make sure that it was like a good set. It's a specific role that like will always be there to take both people into account to make sure they're both feel safe and not that it's favored toward one person or the other either. Great that this show uses that role and I think it's actually something Shonda Rhimes or Shonda Land is going to be using more across their shows so that's also great. That's really where this episode ends is the beginning we have like this very tension-filled relationship between Daphne and Simon because of the guilt that they feel of what they may be forcing each other into and at the end that clarity coming through of like no we really love each other and we know it's complicated but we're gonna find a way through this because we burn for each other absolutely so their relationship back on track we're i guess sort of excited to see what the scandal is gonna be from now on i mean they're married now so maybe it's it's silly of me to say this but perhaps scandals can no longer touch daphne inside because they are properly married or at least this kind of scandal can't touch them anymore but we still have some other people who are single ready to mingle where they can definitely court scandal i mean we only have like three episodes left six seven eight so we'll be wrapping this up pretty soon yeah so if you have any thoughts on the show or any upcoming episodes feel free to reach out to us at the pemberley podcast at gmail.com or at the pemberley across social media stay tuned mm-hmm.